For the next couple weeks, we are going to to focus on as we move into the holiday season um, and moving forward into the new year. Um, I, I want us to ready both our minds and our hearts for what God has in store for us. And of course, this time of the year, what we always see is New Year's resolutions. Um, everybody has a, a big New Year's resolution that they're excited about. Um, but I want this to be a little different because um, as I was getting ready for this message, as we were preparing for this message, um, I looked at New Year's resolutions and what the stats say. And, and here's what the stats show. Um, after one week, about 75% are still successful. Um, so by January 7th, 25% have dropped off. Um, after two weeks, 71% are still successful. And then after six months, it drops off to 46%. So 54% of people that have started a New Year resolution by June have stopped. But what I would like to see for both myself, for our staff, our leadership here at the church, and as well as everybody in this church, is a meaningful change that leads to the betterment of our church. And that those we reach, um, as we take a step out of our comfort zone in 2023, um, that we do so in a way with a renewed mind and a renewed heart and a renewed spirit. So that's our focus for the next couple weeks. And, and it, it starts with us. It starts with with how we perceive things, with how we, uh, with how we think, and how we allow for our heart to dictate and deceive us. Um, and today I would like to look at uh, what a change in our mindset would look like. Um, so I have a very big problem with getting caught up in my own thoughts, with getting caught up in my own head. Um, our minds are a very powerful tool, uh, sometimes very chaotic, um, in which God has given us for the betterment and the growth of ourselves and those around us. But unfortunately, we get caught within our own minds all too often. And we either react irrationally, or we say something out of sorts, or we make decisions that do not reflect Christ. And so here's how I get caught up in my own mind. Um, there are two intersections here in Clovis that have a stranglehold on my mind. Uh, the first one is 10th and Pyle. And y'all might not know this intersection. It's, it's kind of an odd one. Um, but when I was in high school, uh, Tyler's mom had purchased a new vehicle. Um, it was the fanciest vehicle I had ever been in. Um, it was the nicest vehicle I had ever been in. We had just gotten our driver's license. And she said, would you like to drive? Absolutely. No, no question. 17 years old, getting to drive this brand new King Ranch Expedition. Super sweet. Let's do it. So we come to the intersection at 10th and Pyle. We're heading south, and it's a two-way stop. I did not realize it was a two-way stop, so I pulled up to a stop. I see a car coming, and I go to pull forward. And out of reaction, she slaps me in my chest and yells, it's a two-way stop! I slammed on the brakes. Everything was fine. Car was fine. Um, she immediately had me pull over and get out of the driver's seat. <laughs> and here we are, like, I don't know, 15 years later, whatever it is, and I go through that intersection at least once a day because of where my office is, and every time I come up to that stop, I come to a full stop, I look both ways for more time than I should, and then I go. Because it has a stranglehold on my thoughts. There's another intersection here in town, that I pass through more than once a day because it's 
the only way to get home. And that's 21st in uh, Thornton. And a few years back, I was uh, working full-time in the restaurant industry. Um, I was a manager at a restaurant here in town, and it was Thanksgiving morning. Uh, we did lots of Thanksgiving meals where we would do turkeys and, and all the sides and everything, and there was a large order that they couldn't pick up until Thursday morning. Not a problem. We're not going to turn down a $2,000 order. Let's do it. I'll meet you there Thursday morning. It'll be fine. Um, I'll just miss part of the parade. No big deal. As I'm coming home, I'm heading uh, west on 21st Street, and I have a green light. And as I get just to about where I'm going to pass Allsup's, a car comes through the red light, bounces through the intersection, rolls over into the ditch. And, of course, I panic. I, I, I've never been in this situation before. I didn't know what to do. I pull off into Allsup's. I call 911. Um, the car is up on its side. It's, it's a huge deal. Um, paramedics come. They start to get him out. Uh, one of my friends was one of the paramedics, and I watched him Superman jump on top of this vehicle down into it to help this guy. And unfortunately, what I found out later was the man had spent an evening drinking, had a fight that morning, took off in his vehicle, and ended up passing away from his injuries. But in my mind, if I was two seconds earlier, I would have been T-boned, and that would have been the end of my life. I'm sure of it. And so when I come up to that intersection, my mind will not let me pass through the intersection on a green. Um, I get to the intersection when it's green, and I turn right to go to my house. If it's a red light, I pull up to a stop and go through it because I'm comfortable with that. But if it's a green light, I won't go directly through it because my mind tells me there could be another car coming. There could be that exact same situation and I could be T-boned in this intersection. I'm fine with every other intersection, but there's something about this one that has a stranglehold on my mind. Again, we get so caught up in our own thoughts that it dictates our actions. It dictates how we view things, how we look at things. And so when we look to Scripture for guidance, we find the word of Paul shines a light on this issue. And in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul addresses the church and instructs them on how and why they should change their mindset. So as we open up to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, we see Paul address this situation. It says this, Now this I say and testify in, in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. That word can also be translated to uselessness of their mind. They are darkened by their understanding. It's either bad thoughts brought on by a lack of understanding or they've just made their minds up about something. But they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance, because of their lack of knowledge, their lack of understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through, thought, through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul describes this, useful, this uselessness of thoughts of the Gentiles that do not follow Christ and explains that because their thoughts are useless, it has darkened their understanding. It causes ignorance and has caused them to be calloused. All because their mindsets, because their pride and their greed, it has calloused them. And so often we allow for any and every distraction uh, to remove our focus on what we're called to do. We allow for our calloused hearts and our deceitful minds to dictate how we act. We are, and, and we are called to act a specific way, and, and it can end up with us being described as the same way. If we allow for our thoughts to be removed from Jesus, we can be described in the same way. Lacking in understanding, ignorant, and callous. And unfortunately, we see it time and time again through Scripture. So let me walk you through a few examples. The first example comes out of 2 Kings, and it's the story of Naaman. And we recently discussed Naaman, um, I say recently, uh, several months ago, discussed Naaman. Um, But here's a general breakdown. So Naaman was a mighty warrior from the nation of Syria. He had led many great battles and was known as one of the greatest of his time. And he was, as scripture described, in high favor with his king. However, Naaman had one very essential flaw. He had leprosy. And during one of their raids, the Syrians had captured this little girl from Israel. And in the process, that girl had been made Naaman's wife's servant. The girl goes on to tell Naaman, Naaman's wife, that there is a prophet of the Lord in Samaria who could help him. So Naaman, knowing that this was his only flaw, in his mind, this was his only flaw, And with the blessing of his king, he gathered up all of his riches and all of his his fancy clothing and jewelry and everything he could take with him. And he headed for Samaria in order to have the prophet save him from this disease. So then we find Elisha. He's the prophet in question. He would agree to make good on this arrangement. And, And the king of Israel at the time was like, how dare he do this? He tears his robes, rips it all off. How dare he ask this of us? Who am I to give life or take life, he says. But Elisha tells him, we're going to do this so that they may know that there is a prophet in Israel of the Lord our God. So Naaman arrives, the scene is set, and the work is to be done. So we find ourselves 2 Kings 5, verse 10. It says this, And Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman. He wouldn't come out and talk to him directly. He sent a messenger and he said, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored. You shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of, his, of the Lord his God and wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the, far part, the, the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So now, unfortunately for Naaman, his mind got in his way. How dare this guy tell me to go take a bath? Does he, not, does he think I don't bathe? Like, what is this guy telling me? He should call on the Lord his God, wave his hands around. Where he got this idea, I have no idea. But that's how he should heal me. Not by telling me to go bathe in the river. 
because my rivers back home are so much better. And who knows where he got this idea? Maybe the girl had, had described times where she had saw Elisha heal somebody, and he was like, that's the only way God can do it, is if this prophet comes and waves his hands around and I am healed. Maybe Naaman saw someone healed before somewhere else, and that's the way it was done. Who knows exactly why he thought this way? But before he completely let his mind ruin his blessing, he was stopped in his tracks. Says he turned away in rage, went away in rage, but his servant came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself in the river seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. By just doing what he was called to do by Elisha, who received his instruction from God, Naaman's life was saved. This leprosy was going to end up killing him, quickly killing him. And it was as simple as that. Do what God directed, be saved from your disease. There was no extra steps. He didn't have to turn. He was planning on turning over this entire fortune to this prophet. I, I, the last time we discussed it, he, it was millions of dollars worth of stuff, worth of money and, and gold and jewelry and clothing but that's not what God called for him to do. Those instructions were only followed because Naaman removed his pride, got out of his own head, and did what he was called to do. He listened to God instead of listening to himself. And again, this idea came out of nowhere of importance. He just made up his mind that this is how God should work, so this is how he's going to work in my situation. But God's ideas were the ones that saved his life. The scripture would go on to say that Naaman tried to give Elisha the money and the fortune he had brought, but Elijah was like, get away from me. I don't want your money. I don't want anything from you. Just go and tell the people what the Lord has done. And what came out of this situation, besides his life being saved, was he turned and he went home and all of his people followed the Lord because what had been done in Naaman's life. And we see stories like this time and time again throughout Scripture, even from guys that walked with the Lord. We all know the story of James and John, two disciples that had walked with Jesus. They were walking alongside Jesus and decided that one day he would need to set a hierarchy. And they said, who's going to sit at your left hand? Who's going to sit at your right hand? Because we would like for it to be us. We think that out of the 12 guys you've gathered up, we're the, we're the dudes, we're the, we're the best ones. We should be at your left hand and your right hand. They needed to know that they were going to be exalted in heaven. Because in their minds, someone had to do it. Someone had to fulfill this role of sitting at Jesus' right hand and Jesus' left hand. And they decided that they were the ones. And they wanted, to, they wanted Jesus to determine in this moment, in Mark 10, that they would be the ones. And Jesus, being who he is, explained to them that this situation was well above their pay grade. This was well above their heads. They did not need to be the ones to determine this and that God would be the one who would determine where and told them to knock it off. Maybe not in those exact words, but the context is there. Again, we see it in the life of Peter. Peter tried to set in one day... Um, one day after Jesus had told them what was, what was, he tried to step in, excuse me, 
one day, or after Jesus had told them that his life was going to come to an end. He told them he would be killed, and Peter took it upon himself to explain to Jesus that he was never going to let this happen. And we are not going to let nobody come in here and take you, not on my watch. To which Jesus said, Matthew 16, get behind me, Satan. Because obviously this was the wrong thing to say to Jesus. Because in Peter's mind, without Jesus physically there with them, everything was over. Life would follow. If Jesus is gone, the life that we have known is going to fall apart. Jesus knew what was coming and why it was coming. That's the most important thing. He didn't just know that he was going to lose his life. He knew why he was going to lose his life. He knew that, that this was ultimately the plan all along. He was going to go, he was going to lose his life to save our souls. And he wasn't going to let Peter step in and try to make a deal of it because that's not what he was here for. Peter had made up his mind that because he was ride or die for Jesus, that that meant he was going to fight off this entire government if he had to do it on his own. That was not going to happen on Peter's watch. And obviously Jesus told him, this is not for you, dude. My father has sent me here for a plan, and that's what we're going to do. Lastly, we see it in the life of Paul. When he was Saul, we, we saw him for the first several years, for, for several years of his life, he was chasing down and murdering men and women of the early church. Because in his mind, these people were heathens. They deserved death. They were a cult. And that is exactly why he was going door to door, pulling people out of their house, imprisoning them, killing them. He was the one who approved of Stephen's death. Stephen was stoned to death because of his, his dedication to Jesus. And Paul was the one who said yes to it. It took Jesus himself meeting Paul on one of his journeys, taking away his eyesight for Paul to turn back from what he had done and to give his life to Jesus. Constantly, we are fighting our own minds on what we should do and how we should act. But if we give our minds over to God, if we are able to see the world and to see people around us, to see the situations that we're in through the, through the lens of Jesus, and to see exactly how he would like for us to see them, it would change our lives completely. So today we have a few things that we can do in order to deliver our minds over to Jesus. And of course, the first step is we've got to get out of our own way. We've got to get out of our own minds. So often we add stress and difficulties to our own lives because we won't turn our mindsets over to him. We allow for the world or we allow for our stress and our circumstances to dictate how we think about things in our lives. And we never take the time to see them for how God would see them. We're so caught up in our own thoughts that we view the world through the lens of the world instead of viewing the world through the lens of Jesus. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we spend time with the Lord, when we give our thoughts over to Him, when we, when we turn over the way that we think to him, we are able to discern or recognize 
what it is that God is leading us to or what God is leading us towards. And when we allow for our minds to be dictated by our circumstances or our experiences, our thoughts become more prideful than practical. In order to live a life that glorifies God, we must start with allowing our thoughts to align with Him rather than our circumstances. Allowing our thoughts to be aligned with the world rather than Jesus. Second, we must rely on God for guidance. This is a huge part. When we rely on ourselves for guidance, we will fail time and time again. We might have small victories to show for it, but it will never be anything that matches up to what God had in store for us. Because there are times that we're, we're, we're walking in our own paths and we see, you know, little victories here and there and, you know, look how cool this is, but it's never going to be what God has in store for us. Because what God has in store for us is here and we're living here. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are in, on earth. When we set our minds on Christ, we allow for every thought to be decided by this question. Is it pleasing to the Lord? If we do that, our lives will show it. When we set our mind on things of the Lord, the Lord will always be our top priority. And if we are going to continue to pursue the Great Commission, which if you don't know this, that's our goal, to pursue the Great Commission, which says go and make disciples of all nations. If we are going to do this, if we are going to continue to pursue this, we are going to be so much more successful if we're doing so when every thought aligns and is pleasing to the Lord. Because again, we might have small victories here and there, but it's never going to be what God has intended for us if we are not aligned with him. And we do that by spending time with him. We, we do that by spending time in scripture, by spending time in prayer, by diving into what the scriptures say for our lives. And lastly, we need to repeat this as needed. And this is a big one, because this isn't something that's just going to happen in a single day or because of one single message. It's something that will come and go and come again. And as we grow in our faith and as we grow closer with the Lord, this process becomes easier. Because we are going to fail. We can never and will never meet the benchmark of perfection. That's the whole point of it, guys. We could never meet perfection, which is why we have Jesus. And when we fail, luckily we have the Lord that will always be there to walk alongside us, pick us up, dust us off, and get us back to living for him. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set, stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, and the Lord God is an, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. If we trust in the Lord, we will find a peace that we will not find anywhere else in this world. We will find happiness that you will not find anywhere else in the world. Because the Lord is an everlasting rock. Even though we might come and go out of, out of this faithfulness and out of this, this dedication to the Lord, He is the same today as He was when these verses were written, as He will be tomorrow and every day to come. 
He will never change. And again, this isn't just an easy flip of the switch, all is better type situation. We are going to fail. We are going to slip. We are going to struggle as we try to fix our mindset. But what better time to do this than on December 4th, 21 days from the celebration of Jesus' birth? Because these times, as joyful as they are are for most of us and as joyful as they are supposed to be, this time of the year comes with a lot of stress. It comes with a lot of anxiety. It comes with a lot of heartache. It comes with a lot of... a lot. But that's where Jesus comes in. Because when we're, where we're stressed after having to see that family member this holiday season, Jesus is there with us. And when we're stressed about expenses that come with the holidays, Jesus is there with us. And when we start to slip and our greed and our pride kicks in because we see the posts on Facebook about this gift that was given or this trip that was taken, Jesus is there to provide comfort and renewal for our minds through all of it. We have got to adjust our minds to focus on him and not on ourselves. To focus on the Lord and not on what the world wants us to focus on. Because the world wants us to focus on a lot of other nonsense. And when we do that, we can be described exactly like the Gentiles were in this. Ignorant and callous and and without knowledge. But when we give our minds over to the Lord, we are able to focus on him and what he has in store for us.